1: I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science has if you changed. count the legal votes, I easily wish we to go for short time. Can right, this, this candle smells like my edition. vagina. I shouldn't it's be up somewhere. here. What's I should be back in, in the school on the my other country side country of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon.
2: Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast. Where each week I still ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Thank the Lord that at this critical moment when the world could spiral into destruction if we make the wrong decisions, we're led by people who are reliable, honest, and compassionate, like Boris Johnson and Priti Patel. It's reassuring in the same way that if you needed to put out a fire in your house, you'd ask Ozzy Osbourne while he was riding a buffalo. This week, Boris Johnson wrote a six-point plan suggesting ideas for solving the problem of Vladimir Putin. And it was a lovely plan. And you'd probably say, Oh, darling, that's really sweet. And you'd put it on the fridge. If it had been written by your five-year-old child and not the prime fucking minister. One of the points was, Don't normalise Russian aggression as this leads to more aggression. What a beautiful plan that is. The idea of not making it normal that one country gets invaded by tanks is genius. It's amazing that nobody's thought of this before. I expect the next point was, I think people should be more nicer and over the top with a pretty rainbow. Boris Johnson has shown this plan to other world leaders who probably said... Oh, that's very good, my cherub. But can you leave us alone for just a few minutes, can you, Poppet? As we have to talk about something very important, yes. Why don't you watch In the Night Garden, just for a while? But then poor Boris burst into tears, screaming, It's not fair, I wrote my six points in pretty purple crayon, and it's the most colourful six-point plan in the world. At the same time, one member of the Russian parliament, Maria Butina, claimed that we've all misunderstood the war. The Russians haven't attacked anybody, she said, adding it's possible that the Ukrainians have been bombing themselves to make Russia look bad. Well, this makes sense of all history. Vietnam probably napalmed themselves so that they'd get sympathy, the spoilt brats. Japan dropped a nuclear bomb on itself so they could rebuild Hiroshima with a new waitrose. William the Conqueror was never even at Hastings. Sneaky King Harold just poked out his own eye with an arrow so that he'd make the French look bad on the Bayeux tapestry. Suddenly it all seemed so clear. Now to prove his commitment to refugees that are fleeing Ukraine, the Prime Minister said, Since 2015, Britain has done more to settle vulnerable people than any other country. And that must be why we created a scheme for immigrants called Hostile Environment. We wanted to make refugees feel at home by being as hostile to them as the place that they'd run away from. If we'd been polite, they wouldn't be used to that and they'd become confused. And it's not fair to say that we're doing nothing. Poland has taken a million refugees from Ukraine, but we've taken 300 Now, Grant Shapps explained that we've taken the fewest number of refugees because we're further west than countries who have taken more. So maybe the westerly Gulf Stream blows the refugees away. But Ireland, which is further west than us, has taken six times as many refugees as us. Many people get confused between the east and the west, but unlike Grant Shapps, not all of them end up as Minister for Transport. So his next problem will probably be that the HS2 rail project, which he's responsible for, is built through the sea to somewhere near the Isle of Man. And then he'll say, ah, bollocks. (laughs) Sorry, I I meant east of Manchester. Oh, God. And while every other country is welcoming people from Ukraine, we just keep finding imaginative ways of keeping them out. We demand they fill in forms in the middle of a war zone and our centres for applications have all been shut. I expect they've been told you need proof of identity. Uh, you, you should uh, you should have asked the tank commander to wait until you'd collected a gas bill and a bank statement before he blew up your house. So, I am mean, afraid it is your own fault. And the rules change every day, so this week refugees will probably be allowed to apply for a daily visa, but it's only valid as long as they've completed that morning's Wordle puzzle. Maybe the Home Office will provide a number that the refugees can call, and then a voice says, Hello, you've reached the Humanitarian Coalition hotline. We are currently experiencing an unusually high degree of calls. If you would like to be turned back by our officers at the border with Poland, press 1. Or, if you'd like to walk to Calais and then be arrested, press two. If you wish to float to Britain on a dinghy and be screamed at by Nigel Farage with a megaphone, press three. Or they'll have to perform in front of the judges from Britain's Got Talent. Simon Cowell will go, OK, what's your name? What have you got for us? I am Andre. I have to leave village as Russians have bombed it. Many dead. I have brought funny budgie we do trick. So we should sympathise with Boris Johnson when he claims that we're the best in the world because he clearly suffers from a serious condition that probably has a name such as blustered upside-down best-in-world syndrome. This wretched illness makes him make claims such as we lead the world in fighting Covid or we have the finest track and trace in the world when we're clearly Bottom of the world. If he was asked whether Britain had any hippos living here, he'd say, Britain has more hippos than anywhere in the world. Over 20 million hippos come here every year. We are the natural home of the hippopotamus. He can't help it. So if you send a donation to any of the charities raising money for Ukrainian victims of this war, please spare some coins as well for those who, like Boris Johnson, suffer from this cruel disease. Now, there's another war being fought in Ukraine, and that is the information war. This week,
1: Tory MP Nadine Boris shared her thoughts on the situation. Can I ask what you think of the misinformation that's coming out of Russia? I tell you what I think. I think we've got the most fucking amazing journalists in the whole world. I love the BBC. I fucking love them. I'll take any one of them journalists round the back of the Grafton and let them do whatever they wanted. Anyway, you're supposed to be a journalist. Why aren't you out in the Ukraine you shit out? I'm the Westminster correspondent. Oh, how oh, very convenient. Typical BBC. You're fucking shit scared, that's why. That night in the Five Ways car park when it all started kicking off with the Tierneys, you hid in the fucking box. That's what I heard, you shit out. Do you know Clive Myrie? Oh, I love him. I love the BBC. I've always loved them. I'm going to be on Strictly. Just you wait and see. Only they haven't asked me. I fucking hate the BBC. You wait and see, they'll have some slag off EastEnders. If she does a, a doble round here, I'll put glass under her fucking feet, see how she dances then the shit out. What
2: the fuck is going on? So, there is about to be a chat between myself and Rory Bremner no less and uh, it's very podcasty and particularly what the fuck is going on podcasty that having secured someone who is the master of doing magnificent voices and sound in general that the Sound quality of this is all over the place for some reason. Anyway, you'll get the idea. Ladies, gentlemen, and creatures of the podcasty world, it is my enormous pleasure, as it is very often on this podcast, because it's not possible to work out what the fuck is going on without expert advice, and we've had some wonderful people, but can anyone have been so uh, marvellous to welcome onto the podcast as Mr Rory Bremner? Hello, sir. Hello, Mark. Particularly, this is a pleasure, because we first did a show together and I was trying to think, work out the year, and I think it was 1536. <laughs> and uh, I seem to remember ah. you did a very, very good Cardinal Wolsey that went down <laughs> extremely well, but did get us in trouble with the royal oh. court, and we had to flee.
3: Yeah, there was a that was it was a corporate at Hampton Court, and they had a sound yes. <laughs> system.
2: Oh no, Henry didn't like it at all. Oh, so I the head all, of yeah. the stage manager, it really yeah, yeah, it. no, it was
3: terrible, yeah, terrible trouble. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, no, that was it was about then, wasn't it? 1983, I found the flyer the other day, you know, those, those Edinburgh little handouts thing, and it was you, Mark, you, me, and Jenny Eclair. Yeah. And the great thing is all three of us are still, still working, well, you and Jenny are. They're all now dead. <laughs> but <laughs> so many,
2: so many marvelous things to ask you. First of all, been asking everybody on the, the of the last few weeks has come on because you know we we can't take anything for granted. Uh you a fan of Putin or have you gone off him? it was
3: Rich Hall, isn't it? He said uh it's a, it's a, somebody told me Hitler had a halitosis. You know, the more I hear about that guy, <laughs> and I'm kind of the same. As you think. But I tell you what, and you're very up on this. It's when people sort of say, "Oh, you know, why do we elect comedians to run the country?" And you say, "Well, look at Ukraine," and and that is is one of the greatest leaders I've ever come across. I mean, I know he's so, putting us to shame. I know, but I feel. You know, um, John Lloyd, uh, he said, you know, when he watches Bill Bailey, he's proud to be part of the same species. I feel proud to be in the same job as uh, Zelensky was because, uh, you know, you do think, God, could would I be anything, anything like if I? Because the reason I don't want to do politics, I can't make my mind up about anything. And I just, but didn't stop Boris Johnson, mind you, because, you know, he's just a columnist. He and Gove, Gover columnists who sort of accidentally got the job. And there's that wonderful thing the day after Brexit when they woke up and they were like those two people in the producers. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who were banking on... Springtime for Hitler being a complete failure, and they wake up. they we've affected to leave. They go. Oh, what's wrong? What? Oh my God! You know, you know we're going to have to see this through, my friend. Uh, so there, so there we there we go. We are just uh...
2: yes, indeed. Well, the first thing though, if you're d- doing this, because Boris uh, Boris quite often appears on the, on these podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good enough yes. to, to come on, but uh, I I feel slightly um slightly humbled when you're (laughs) the Boris that comes on. It is actually Boris Johnson, but your one is clearly better. Well, we do. We don't know about that. but I yeah. How do you do them? I can't help you. All the one talking to you, Rory. I can't help but think, how do you do all them voices? Then there's there's still the bit of me that's just like the normal bloke wandering up the street, going, the, <laughs> you, "You met Rory Bremner? What would you ask if you had Rory Bremner podcast? You Go, how do you do all them fucking voices? There's millions of them.
3: How do you do them all then?
2: Could you I do anyone? Could you do my mate Steve?
3: He's <laughs> do him. Boris. Boris took a long time. I mean, I yeah, there's, there's various Boris's, but now he's uh, I mean, yeah, he's a. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that he brushes his hair with a balloon, uh, he's, 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 and it is it is that kind of making it up on the spur of the moment and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of pausing and um, coming and going. But it's annoying how the sort of the three the three go-to characters. There's him and there's Trump, of course, you know. And there's and there's Farage. So there's three characters which are really easy to do, and I hate all of them. I think that your your
2: sort of use of impressions at the point at which you became very prominent for doing impressions they were original for many reasons, and one was that you were using them for a much more satirical purpose. You know, Mike Yarwood would not yep. have done something where you know Jeff Boycott was doing a commentary on arms deals <laughs> or something that generally wasn't your I was a fan of
3: Mike would yeah uh, but that probably wasn't quite his his shtick when he was doing no, it was, no. although I mean he and he got he got quite cozy with the politicians I mean he got you know, we got Dennis Healy on playing the piano on one thing and Mr. Mm. and Mr. Healy and he got he Harold Wilson and stuff um, but you know Mark because you know you were out there absolutely at the very first Edinburgh show that was as I said you and me and Jenny Eclair. so you know I mean I was doing sports commentators then it was it was a bit of Bill McIntyre. Claren and of course the, the bit about Scottish rugby which is now Gavin Hastings he's the sort of go-to rugby uh, impression of the moment and he's not the brightest I said to my friend oh look there's a dead seagull he said where but, then I, thought, <laughs> but, but and I thought god you've got these voices you need to do something with them and I got—I was interested in, I was always in, into news and into politics and stuff like that but it's by the early 90s when I was working with John Byrd and John Fortune and I wanted to it was because the politics that so was interested me and it was it was a tail end I mean of course it was Thatcher wasn't it, it was Miners strikes and you know we had all sorts of there was the the flying pickets and and all of that so I learned such a lot in those days so it politicized me in a sense and I thought you can do these voices you can do the people that matter and then Thatcher sort of went and then obviously John Major came along and it was always (laughs) what was the line Um, they said it couldn't be done it wasn't they said I wasn't up to the job I'm not (laughs) (laughs) I think the key with it with doing a political impression is obviously you've got you've got to get the voice but then if there's if there's one line so that, you know, you get the release of the laughter, but at the same time behind it is people feeling that, yes, you've nailed that. That's what I think about that person.
2: I think what's, what's uh, very impressive with proper impressionists, and this is where, you know, some, you know, I, well, I don't, I don't have to do um, George Galloway because he comes on on this podcast every week and offers his opinions. Let me put it to you,
3: <laughs> I would say... You are a popinjay He
2: does <laughs> tend to say popinjay Oh, he wonderful!
3: He's got a great. You know, can I tell you a you Tell you, tell, how, how, how you Jordan Callum, yeah. If you heard, this, so it was. <laughs> it's 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 um, tainted love. It's it. There are times I think I want to run away. I want to get away from the pain that you bring to my heart. Once I ran from you, now I run. Do you? <laughs> and that's the rhythm of his. And then some Scottish guys picked this up and they played it on the thing. And they 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 loved that kind of wee story, but they also they would doing they said how they got into doing stuff on talk sport or whatever. So he could do a big rant, but he had to still be plugged into the sport. So he say, Tony Blair has the blood of a thousand Iraqis on his hands. It was he who spilt their blood. Oh, there's been a goal at Goodison. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago he was very, very
2: cross about Wordle because it only uses five-letter words oh. and he thought this was outrageous. Well, enough. the
3: Tories, you know, I sometimes think with Boris Johnson, you know, the Tories have got their own version, which is a four-letter word for Boris Johnson. And they've got the C, they've got the N, they've got the U and the T. And now they're they're on the 130th effort. They're going, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Is it is it? Punk? I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, now this is a question. Since about
2: 1960, since the Harold Macmillan years, every Prime Minister has had a sort of a distinct satirical image that people remember. Peter Cook with Harold Macmillan, and then Yarwood did Wilson and Heath. Yeah, and so so well, yeah. Thatcher, spitting image. And then with Blair, it was you, that thing you, you did, the fly-on-the-wall camera thing with you and Alistair Campbell. Yeah. Which was a, a brilliant, brilliant idea. Were you aware at the time? Because that must have really annoyed him. I bet he was aware. <laughs> well, of I
3: hope so. No, it was just because we realized that the whole thing, the to the book, had to try and work out what the key to the Blair government was. And I think Jeff Atkinson, our producer, who you know, I think he said, "Alistair Campbell." It's about Alistair Campbell. And we realized because it was that sofa government. It was just there was so tight as a unit. It was Blair. There's Alistair Campbell, and and there was Peter Mandelson. Do you remember him? Very, very dangerous man. And um, I know we you live, Mark, <laughs> I still do. Uh, and they were so tight. And and of course, so they, they held decisions very, very closely. And so doing a fly on the wall thing of them seemed to be the way in. And we used to improvise a lot of them. Andrew Dunn, who played um, Alistair Campbell, was so good. And, you know, some, one day we just put a bowl of fruit there. So we walk around eating. And I just, you know, just get just chuck us an apple, Alistair. And I bumped into some, I think it was maybe somebody from the Labour Party. Said, How do you know? How do you know they eat apples? <laughs> and so we thought well, no I, we didn't we we're just making it up and then there was well, david frost used to have these amazing garden parties and he uh, he invited everybody to these things david frost you so would arrive. oh rory super to see you coming Come cameron have you met the pinochets and <laughs> going, and there was alistair campbell, there was alistair campbell. and uh, he said that bloke that does me he's really he's too fat He's too fat, that bloke that does me. So I said, well, really? And then he, Campbell gets out this kind of slightly sweat-stained copy of his exercise routine. They said, look, look what I've done. I've done 10 bench presses. I've done 20 things. Like that. I said, oh, right, oh, well, I have a word with him. Two days later... An article appears in the Daily Express saying that I'm concerned that the bloke who plays Alistair Campbell is too fat, and I'm going to put him on an exercise regime. That's how Campbell worked. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but it was it was quite satisfying. I must ask, boy,
2: I must ask you a question, Paul, because we go off many other tangents. So, it is related to your Tony Blair, uh, your your wonderful Tony Blair impression that you did. So, since then, or certainly since 2010 the world of satire, if you like, in Britain has been very, very different because there's not been an image. And when you think like Boris Johnson is the easiest person to caricature of any of those leaders we've had in the last 60 years in Britain, why is that? There's not a definitive Boris Johnson caricature Mm. as there was with Peter Cook and Harold Macmillan, as there was with Ewan Blair, as there was with the, the spitting image puppet
3: of Thatcher. I was asking, so I don't know the answer, but what What do you think there is? I mean, I think think satire kind of, you know, sometimes satire needs grotesques uh, and Thatcher was certainly, you know, a, a grotesque. And to some extent, Reagan was, although, you know, then Trump came along and, you know, made Reagan look like Abraham Lincoln. Yes. I mean, if I do a quick thing about, about Trump as one of these characters that, you know, that becomes a go-to. Um, but when Trump started off, the first thing was, of course, you know, the well, here's a true story. Uh, when The night he was elected, um, Pennsylvania went uh, Republican or whatever. And um, the first person to call him, it's usually the Prime Minister of Britain or so, and it was the President of Egypt, el-Sisi, who rang. He said, I will call him. I will put call through the Trump Tower. I, I don't know why he was speaking Russian. But anyway, he said, al and he rang, and he got through to the, the Trump suite, and he's sitting there, Trump, with his advisors. and they said, now, Mr. Trump, is the president of Egypt on the phone, and the first thing Trump said to a foreign leader as president-elect was to the president of Egypt, he said, I love the Bengals, I love the Bengals, you know that song, works like an Egyptian, and then you get to the inauguration he does his inauguration speech that long sort of tweet saying america first it's going to be america first and there's a lovely little vignette where george w bush leaves the stage with hillary clinton and bush turns to clinton and says something and jim nochte interviewed hillary uh, a few months ago and said what 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 was it what did what did george w bush say to you after trump's inauguration speech and she said bush turned to her and said that was some fucking weird shit. <laughs> oh no, that's made me like W. Bush. That's terrible. That was. Oh, fucking... I wish I'd known. And then, that. of course, then he's, he's, <laughs> then Sean Spicer goes out and says, "Yeah, the president's right. They've never had a bigger crowd than that at the inauguration. They've never had a bigger crowd." And uh, there was a talk show, Kellyanne Conway, Trump's lawyer or something like that, one of his people said. Well, you know, the the, 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 the the spokesman is just he's just giving you alternative facts, and that started to take off alternative facts. And so that when Trump finally, at the end of the thing, another of his proxy blonde bimbos was on Fox News. And she said, "The trouble is, you see, there's no such thing as facts anymore." And what she means is what people believe, and that's the real change underneath. You know, the Hegel, yeah, 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 the real yeah. change underneath has been the things about, about facts have gone. Is what people believe, and that, and the trouble with the BBC, and it's a point that Peter Oborne has made actually. The BBC has put they they put impartiality. Above facts, so they almost think. And I thought this was a joke, but I think this is true. That now, if they get around the world yachtswomen on, they feel they have to get somebody from the Flat Earth Society on just to balance it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's really, really dangerous. Yes. If
2: there's an earthquake, that, that after you've heard about the terrible devastation of the earthquake, the BBC would then have to say, "And now we're going to have someone who's going to speak in support of the earthquake." <laughs> yeah
3: yeah, so this is the world. and the other my other kind of thing is, is that I look back, you know you and I are both obsessive sport fans. I think of twenty twelve and the Olympics as a real high point of our lives you know uh, because that amazing opening ceremony and it wasn't about the grenadier Guards and the queen it was about you know um the industrial revolution and the nhs yeah 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 yeah, and all yeah. That stuff and i and ever and then there was a scottish referendum then there was brexit and then just all sort of kind of fell apart after that and i kind of you know it's, it's a it's a very different time to be working in and sometimes i feel that the third symptom of covid is you lose your sense of humor because it's uh, some big big things going on well i heard to say did, did you did you know this That Putin's grandfather was Stalin's chef. No, that's amazing. Yeah, I was told there was a guy, but he told me so many things. I thought that can't be true. That absolutely can't be true. Putin's grandfather was Stalin's chef. chef, Apparently, God, what?
2: I'm not. That's not a good job, however well paid, is it? No, it's one slightly,
3: one bloody mushroom that turned out to be past itself. sell. Oh, I tell you what, you should, yeah. No, if you get the eggs, Benedict wrong, you're finished. And the story is that that Putin Putin is is ill. He's got pancreatic cancer and he's got a short time to live and he's absolutely obsessed with this thing. Now, I don't know if um, you're going to hear it first on the Mark Steele podcast and if that turns out to be true. But uh, people have said he's on a lot of steroids. That's why his face is swollen. He thinks he's running out of time and he's desperate to do things. But anyway, I mean, it's just... um, Yes, I well, think I'm he's, justifying him for a second now, but because it's How quickly this happened, isn't it? Suddenly, and of mm-hmm. course everything is there. You think, well, you know, a complete mad tyrant with nuclear weapons. And um it's just it flared up. This is the thing. I'll tell you what, because somebody said it, it was, I think it was Lenin um who's or it, or it might or it might have been Richard Madeley, Um, who said uh, that there are decades where nothing happens for weeks and then there are weeks where decades happen.
2: Well, this is your dialectics, Rory, you see. This is your basic Hegel, you see. Nothing appears to be changing, but underneath it is. And then when something appears to suddenly change, it is, in fact, the final qualitative act of something that has been slowly changing over a long period so it looks sudden when in fact it's just the the final stage of a slow change
3: that's been happening beneath the surface well of course mark i knew hegel very well he was a tremendous (laughs) gentleman we played a lot of golf together and (laughs) but there's you see that's the quality of analysis you only get on this on the yes, it is. I just thought to leave you with one final thought about the cost of living crisis. Is people talk about the cost <laughs> of living crisis, but I think it disaff- disproportionately affects the wealthy because you probably heard that Prince Andrew's cost of living has gone up by twelve million pounds in the last month. So I think we, uh, just as a final thought, I think we have to think about those who are yes. um, who are more well off than ourselves. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes, and we should. We should certainly donate. We certainly should.
3: Well, it's been absolutely brilliant. We could
2: talk for many, many hours. Whether anyone would want to listen to it or not, I don't know. But um, I don't really matter, does it? That, uh, absolutely brilliant. And we must meet up for a cup of tea and watch some sport. And you absolutely can- lovely. Let's do that. That's recommend. Recommend. Okay. All right. Thank, okay. You. Thank you. Oh, what
3: the fuck is going
1: on?
2: Now, once again, it is time to hear from our favourite talk show host, someone who is the master of gently teasing out opinions, Mike Concrete. Now, with me is uh, Jonathan Williams from the Fruit Marketing Board, if you can believe it. Oh, they want us to eat more fruit. There's always something they want us to do. Hello, Jonathan. What are we going to eat now? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you you don't have to eat anything. We we're just trying to encourage people to be a bit more adventurous in the the type of fruit we eat. We we're all familiar with apples, oranges, maybe bananas. So all we're saying is, oh, so you want to ban
2: us from eating apples? Is that
1: it? <laughs> Well, no, we, we, we don't want to ban anyone from eating anything. All we're saying is, instead of an apple, uh, why not mix it up and try a grapefruit or, or a nectarine or maybe even... A... Oh, too
2: clever for bananas, are you? Eh? Traditional English fruits aren't good enough, then. What university study group told you that?
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd describe the banana as an English fruit. They're, they're originally from the Southern Hemisphere, and, and then, well, what happened was the Portuguese actually
2: imported... Oh, I suppose you want to force us all to eat Muslim fruits, is
1: that it? Muslim fruits?
2: Yeah, that's your sort, doing it. You know what I'm talking about. Olives and dates. They're Muslim fruits. If you had your way, we'd be eating cherries with burkas on.
1: Um... I, I really don't want to get into this sort of discussion. I, I, I thought I was going to be coming on to encourage people to eat a variety of fruit. I mean, you, you must enjoy fruit. Um, what fruit would you recommend?
2: Roast beef. There you go. If you must promote unusual fruits, why don't you get people to eat more roast beef?
1: Because r- roast beef isn't a fruit.
2: Yes, it is. See you, Jonathan. That's enough of that, idiot. Here's Vladimir Putin with the weather.
1: What the fog is going
2: as we know by now, it is impossible to know what the fuck is going on unless you hear from people with all sorts of different opinions. So earlier this week, I spoke to comedian Jeff Norcott, who is well has been very funny. It has also become sort of a bit known of late because he's uh, voted conservative and voted for Brexit and therefore all the sort of stations and people that want someone impartial go oh right yes we've got someone on the panel who's a little bit different so we've done the same on this podcast it was a lovely conversation and here's a little bit of it there is something else I think that sort of before I come into where we're mm. different I think something else where I think we where we're similar because I think like you did a the line once so I thought it was really funny probably I don't know if anyone would argue about it politically but just about women being fed up with blokes who are full of emotions. Yeah. and what, how did it, you, I was going to paraphrase it. It was there, something from the
4: MASH report. So I was. it was at a time when, you know, toxic masculinity had become sort of like a natural pairing of words, like budget airline. You know, just this is a thing yeah, that blokes yeah, yeah. are. And, and if you're working class as well, and if you're outside that bubble, you're living in a world where a lot of women still do like men with classic, you know, typically gender stereotypical manly quality so it all seemed a bit full of it to me so i said oh, some women want blokes who can write poetry and be empathetic and some women want a man who can wire a fucking plug you know and <laughs> and i i had a joke as well at that time which i've only remembered recently it was about my granddad i said you know he went through a war you know he had ptsd did he go for counseling no he had the common decency to become a lifelong alcoholic and i respect that so <laughs> so so obviously truthfully i'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't talk but what, I'm, what you're trying to get to is look this is what you're saying this is the broader reality for a lot of people and that you know that might be where the comedy lies
2: and if you would like to hear more of that chat it is available right now to our patreon supporters only to our patreon supporters uh, for a while so if you'd like to hear that and also get ad free versions of every episode that don't have that because i know they're annoying people sometimes write to me and go, there was an annoying advert. And I know it's annoying. Adverts are meant to be annoying. If you were worked in an advertising agency and you wrote an advert and uh, it wasn't annoying, you'd be sacked, wouldn't you? So I'm I'm sorry about that, but you can get ad-free versions in our Patreon episodes. And we will be doing live chats. I promise that very soon we will be telling you where they are, because otherwise we'll just be relying on you stumbling across them by accident. We'll be doing that later in the year. Not that much later in the year. And all sorts of other exclusive things and lots of other little interviews and people that are going to come on and do things, lively little chats about things. And much longer versions of the interviews that we've been doing. And extra characters as well every week. That's in the Patreon version, which is available if you go on something and click something i don't ask me and it's just four pounds a month you can get all of that and help support this podcast so lots of messages that people keep sending in steve Battlemuch, friend of the podcast says i bet mike concrete is a chelsea fan Uh, i don't know what you're basing that on steve i'll put it to him when i see him it's possible grumpy old git says one of the cats has started sleeping on my feet what the fuck is going on we will look into that. I'm so sorry that we've been dealing with Ukraine a little bit for the exclusion of the, the cat-on-your-feet situation, Grumpy Old Git, but we will get round to it very, very quickly. Richard Burton, who's got the marvellous, very, very wonderful Twitter name of Richard Burton at not the Dead One. <laughs> That does remind me of when I was in Malta for the In Town series, there's a pub there which is a shrine to Oliver Reed because it's where Oliver Reed spent his very last day. He got absolutely drunk an extraordinary amount of of beer and whiskey and everything and died. And the guy who runs this little pub in Valletta, the capital of Malta, there's a shrine to him. There's all pictures of him everywhere and everything. And the guy who runs the pub said to me, oh, it was brilliant last week, Mark. He said, I I had an English tourist come in here and he said to me oh can you tell me exactly where it was in this pub that oliver cromwell drank himself to death that's why we ruled the world ladies and gentlemen richard burton at not the dead one says what the fuck is going on donald trump is complaining about lackluster truth social rollout now this is the app that he created because he thought that other apps they weren't sort of bigging him up enough and so he started his own one Uh, truth social and Donald Trump in asking why it isn't doing better used the phrase what the fuck is going on now I've always been a fan of Donald Trump as you know but I think I'm going to fall out with him over this I think that I'm going to have to approach Donald Trump's people and say that that's our phrase, that we've copyrighted it, and he owes us $20 million. And the reason that I know to start off with that amount is because I've read a book called The Art of the Deal, and it, it says to always go in at $20 million. But not only that... Donald Trump has also, bless him, going back to his old ways, on a UFC podcast, Trump was asked how he sees the war in Ukraine playing out. I really recommend you watch this, because what he says, I swear this is not made up, he says well I've been talking about this and the trouble is it's the windmills we've played right into his hands because we're relying on the windmills and the wind they don't work they don't work the windmills and they rot. they get rusty they get rusty this is the man but for a few people sort of changing their minds because of covid or whatever reason they changed their mind and didn't vote for him 18 months ago this man would be President in this situation, and you and sort of missed that, of course, because that was that was very normal, wasn't it, at the time, you know, whatever the situation or oh, what's the matter with North Korea? And he'd say, Well, you know, I'd suggest if we all put a cactus up our ass, I think the North Korean situation will disappear. And here he is with the uh, we have to we can't any longer rely on the windmills. Simon Martin at Dr. Simon Martin asks, How is this possible in 2022? Now, usually when someone asks that. It's usually something like, oh, a fishmonger is no longer selling cod or something. But this is very much worthy of that question. A Catholic state school has been plunged into turmoil, it says in the article he sends, after the local diocese intervened to cancel a visit by a gay author. That's really, really retro, isn't it? Sometimes we sort of, we miss the old days, Know the old days when you would go to school and get a good eye in just for looking in the wrong direction or be you know, put in the stocks for being left handed? And we miss those days. Simon James Green had been due to speak at John Fisher School in Purley Croydon. I know where that is, I drive past it often. His visit was cancelled at the last minute. He's an award winning children's author who writes books for a range of age groups. His books for young adults feature gay characters. So the Catholic Church here are saying, how dare this author, how dare he make reference to the fact that there are people in the world who are gay, which I think if there is one institution in the world that really ought to be aware that there are people in the world who are gay. It is the Catholic Church. I'm not taking sides on this, but they ought to be aware there are people that are gay. That's what the fuck is going on. Well, in two of those cases, Donald Trump and the Catholic Church, I think, I would hope that neither of those have got more than six months of existence left in them. So that would pretty much solve it, wouldn't it? (laughs) As anybody who has ever, ever tried to work out what the fuck is going on will know, you need a broad breadth, not only of opinion, but of age groups. And that's why 25 years ago, I bred someone who would now be 25 so that I could find out what the fuck is going on with the younger generation. Elliot Steele. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? We good? Uh, well, uh, yes, I'm quite good. I've, I've just arrived in Wellingborough in Northamptonshire where I'm doing a show tonight. Uh, I don't know a great deal about Wellingborough as you know i like to know a little bit about the place. I know it's near Kettering. I know a little bit about that, and I know it's near Corby, where everyone's got a strangely Scottish accent, even though it's in Northamptonshire. And I know that Kettering and Corby hate each other with almost unparalleled virulence. But you remember, you came to Kettering with me once.
5: Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know Kettering and Corby. I've gigged in both places.
2: Do you remember the sweary vicar? Yeah, yeah. I've done. I've done a gig in his church. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. Did he remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what? Do you remember that conversation when he was sort of trying to help us out, find out stuff about Kettering, and uh, and he kept saying, time. "Fuck here now, fucking Jesus, yeah. the fucking computer's not working." And do you remember what happened when? And you said, "You're the sweariest vicar I've ever known." And do you remember what he said? No. He said, "Oh God, you think this is bad? Last week I was thrown out of a meeting for calling someone a <laughs> c**t Do you remember that? No, I do But that's great. <laughs> Anyway, um, we know what the fuck is going on with him. Now, this is something very, very important. Lots and lots of different aspects to the war. I can understand that there are many people who sort of feel it's not really touched their lives, but it's good to see that even amongst the football fans of Chelsea, they have been engaged with the war because suddenly they've decided that whatever else is going on, the trivialities of life in Ukraine, are as nothing compared to the fact that their football club has had its assets frozen or its chairman has. What do you reckon, Roman or I think anything bad
5: that ever happens to uh, the club of Chelsea, in terms of if they have an asset freeze or anything at all, is good. Because they are just Millwall with money. They are the worst fan base to have ever existed that i've got friends who are chelsea fans in fact uh, i was just speaking to a friend of mine who is a chelsea fan and just said literally all of that and he went
2: yeah no absolutely correct we're we're, <laughs> we're an awful club oh a bit like devil worshippers a bit like if you said yeah. to devil worshippers you really are evil they'd go yeah well that's the point yeah
5: yeah well i don't i don't really think that is quite what devil worshippers believe i don't think that's, that's...
2: they don't think they're evil
5: well, no, they, they disbelieve that uh, Lucifer, the archangel, they follow him as a... They don't believe that the Bible is the true, correct word of God. They feel that he, uh, Lucifer was leading a revolution against God and that he
2: himself is actually a good person, uh, a good angel. So the devil is actually the victim in, in all of this. And in that sense, they are very much like Chelsea fans. Yes, yes, they are like Chelsea fans. That's a good point. We are the fallen angels. Roman Abramovich is just unfairly, he's come out quite cleanly and with great morality, he's come out of the collapse of the Soviet Union with $5 billion worth of metals and used it just to enhance the love of sport and now look.
5: Well, I think when you work in the sincere and honest trade of being an oligarch and then you welcome an oligarch into your club because he can buy you the Champions League and then... Anytime you do well in the Champions League, you celebrate by smashing up a Spanish city or pushing a black person off a train and then chanting, we're racist and that's the way we like it. I think that then when the rest of the world gets to watch your assets get frozen and play with the idea that the club is going to collapse and your shitty little football team is going to burn in hell where it belongs, then you can't be mad at that. It is very, very funny. Now, look, I like, to. in in a lot of ways, I like Chelsea. I enjoy watching Eden Hazard. I enjoyed when he was in the Prem. I thought he was a phenomenal footballer.
2: Even though the club he was playing for was destined for hell where they belong. Oh, well... (laughs) That'd be great if punditry from Gary Neville. If you look at Hazard here, he's playing off the back of Arwen Robin, and that's great. On the downside, I have to say to you, Jamie, that they do belong in hell. They are Beelzebub. <laughs> they are the devil. They are the fucking Satan's spawn.
1: Eh, I just don't quite agree with that there, Gary.
5: I just, think I, eh, I just think that, you know, maybe they'll do a stint in purgatory, but no, I don't think that's fair. Look, you've got to hand it to him for Hazard's phenomenal.
2: Let's have a look here. If we look here at Hades, we can see there's a Abramovich in the corner there, just underneath the seventh level, as Dante predicted.
1: I just again, Gary, I just don't agree
5: with him. Micah Rich is there just needlessly laughing in the background. <laughs> just, that's, all he does on, that's all he does on that show. He
2: just goes... Linica's going to be trying to be really sincere on this, isn't he? He's a very political sort of character these days. Yeah, it's so quite annoying, it? OK, I think we have to... I can't do Linika, but I think we really have to really see that football as a sport is something that comes very secondary to the awful events that we've seen in Ukraine, and certainly I as much as anybody else, welcome any sense of unity across Europe that opposes this awful invasion. What do you think, Mika?
3: (laughs) They couldn't take Kiev as well as they thought they could have.
5: (laughs) I like it. I I like all of them as pundits. I think they're really entertaining. But that is, Michael Richards just sits there. He's, He's great. But he just,
2: <laughs> anything that's said. Oh, Roy Keaton, be brilliant, right? When they go, uh, oh, there's news coming in that a second Russian general has been captured by Ukrainian resistance fighters and has been killed. Roy, well, I mean, this is, this is on for... If you're not going to be doing an occupation, if you're not prepared to lose a couple of generals, <laughs> it's his own fault. But I, I, do we have any sympathy? Because I heard a Chelsea uh, <laughs> spokesperson, when Abramovich had said he was going to sell the club, and clearly this was in response to. You know, he he was very well aware that this was coming, I guess. And at that point, there was a Chelsea fan spokesperson, someone who wrote the fanzine or something, on Five Live going absolutely berserk. And what I thought was interesting about him was that you would think as a PR exercise, you would at least feign a little bit of sympathy for people who have just had their country demolished. (laughs) But he clearly couldn't give a shit.
5: It's odd because they are a fan base of some of the most entitled just before Roman Abramovich, they find themselves as the Chelsea headhunters. They were known as being a nasty team, uh, and there's there's a lot of Chelsea fans that I know that don't like that side of their football club, but they're still in, they they still implicit that the fact that from the top to the bottom there is a rottenness in the club. Now don't get me wrong, they play some amazing football, some of the greatest ever Champions League moments are, are with Chelsea. Say what you like about them, I think they are in the last. 20 years being one of the most entertaining teams in Champions League football.
2: But they belong in hell.
5: But they belong in hell. They do belong in hell. But that's why they're entertaining. They're like someone that sells their soul to the devil, learns how to
2: play the fiddle. You're great at it, but you have
5: to go to hell. That's
2: a very good point. And people that say you shouldn't sell the soul to the devil... On the other end, they do enjoy a bit of violin. They'd rather have a good bit of violin than a shitty bit of violin that hasn't had the devil behind it. And that's the moral
5: question. Well, if you want to hear moral <laughs> questions, you should check out my podcast where we are have moral dilemma of the week. B Tech philosophers with Michael Order. What is your moral How dilemma
2: we? this week? We don't, don't just say what it is, and then people can listen to tune
5: in oh, and listen uh, to that. Well, uh, when does uh, self care become selfish?
2: Oh, wow, that's like Plato and Descartes. I think that's a perfectly circular way in which to complete this week's podcast. I can only thank you, Elliot. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now available on Patreon. So if you want to become a supporter and get ad-free versions of bonus content, such as that interview with Jeff Norcott, please sign up to that for just £4 a month. If you've liked the podcast, then rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. And if you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out, what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and. We will read every single message. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Rory Bremner and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Seraphinovich and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowley. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and Concept Industries.